Welcome to AT Parenting Survival Podcast, where you get support and guidance through the chaos of parenting. Here's your host, child therapist, Natasha Daniels. Well, hello there, and welcome to another episode of the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. In this episode, we are going to be talking about why reassurance doesn't help children with anxiety and or OCD. Now, before you get really angry, I have a full disclaimer before I even start this episode, and that is, I reassure my anxious kids all the time. So you're like, wait, what? What is she talking about? I want to talk to you about why it's not helpful. Yeah, we all do it. If you have a heart and you have a pulse, you're going to reassure your anxious kids because it's what we do. I mean, how can you have a child who's anxious or is having an OCD moment and not try to provide reassurance? But what I want to talk about today is, is it effective? Is it helpful? Or is there something better that we all can be doing? So that's where I'm coming from today. It's kind of a weird topic, but I feel like it's relevant because I see so many families in my practice who are constantly providing reassurance to their kids and it's not helping. And I see my own struggles, of course, at home. And I always like to, I guess, throw myself under the bus and talk about my mistakes and the things that I'm experiencing as a parent and not as a therapist, because I find that kind of interesting. They're, they're very different. Like when I'm dealing with my kids with anxiety, I have all my therapy tools, but I'm the parent and I'm wearing my parenting hat when I'm trying to help my anxious kids. And I'm not wearing my therapist hat and I struggle with the same things that you guys struggle with. So let's get into it. There's four main reasons I'm going to go over as far as why I feel like reassurance is not good. So let me explain what I'm talking about. And as I go through them, I'll talk about some ways to do things differently that could help. So anxious kids and kids with OCD really need skill building They really need to learn long-term how to deal with their anxiety or how to deal with their OCD. And we are kind of there as coaches and supporters to help them through it, but we can't take on their battle. And if we try to, which sometimes reassurance moves into that realm of really just trying to completely absorb all of our child's anxiety, it's not effective because they have to fix this and we can't. It's like that old adage, like give somebody, oh my gosh, I'm going to totally mess this up. I shouldn't even start it with this. But what is that saying? You know, like teach someone how to fish, you know, and they're fed for life, but give them a fish and they have one meal. (laughs) I mess up every saying. So, and you know, it's really sad because even when I was a little kid, my mom used to call me norm because I always got sayings wrong. I don't even know what the reference is. So if you are, you know, if you have a better handle on pop culture or you're a lot older than me, I don't know. You can email me and tell me what she meant, but she used to call me norm because I messed up like every saying. And then my husband has picked up on that and he makes fun of me because every saying I will say it slightly off or weird. (laughs) So now you know that about me too. So anyway, my whole point is you want to teach kids, you want to teach them tools and you don't want to just fix it for them. And that's pretty much where I'm coming from with 
the reassurance component. So the first reason why giving reassurance isn't good is because you don't want to inadvertently make your child dependent on you. And when you become their sole source of reassurance, and whenever they feel bad, whatever you say or whatever you do fixes the problem, then unfortunately, instead of developing tools and skills, they become dependent on you. It's kind of like you become their aspirin for their headache. So every time they have a headache, they just come to you, they take their aspirin and their headache goes away, but they don't learn the source of the headache and they don't learn other ways to get rid of the headache. I don't know. That's a weird analogy, but you get what I'm saying. So if your child is really dependent on you to fix their issues, they're going to want to sleep with you all the time. They're going to want to call you from school because you're the only one that can make them feel better. They're going to want you to come and eat with them at lunch because you make them feel better. And if your child has separation anxiety, I mean, that's those, you're going to be like, yep, she does all that. Oh my gosh. No. I mean, separation anxiety causes that behavior as well. But if your child is dependent on you for reassurance, they will do that no matter what their anxiety theme is, because they're going to want your comfort. And I get this because my oldest daughter, who's 13 is, and I think I've talked about this before, but she's going through a really rough patch right now. She, it's just, I feel like, I think I say this all the time, but I feel like with three anxious kids, and maybe you can relate if you have more than one anxious child or just one anxious child, but you, you put out one fire and then you're like, okay, good. That's over with. And then boom, out the other side comes something completely different. It's like a balloon. You squeeze one side and out it pops on the other side. And I feel like that with my three kids. I feel like, okay, I fix one. Well, I don't fix them. I just got through telling you that we can't do that, but I, I deal with one of them and I feel like, okay, that issue is over. And then like another fire pops up somewhere completely different. And I guess that's just parenting in general, but having three anxious ones, it's kind of draining but I know you get it because you listen to this and you are dealing with your own stuff. So, um, yeah, my son used to be, he continues to be a struggle, but he's really not the front burner issue right now. Now it's my oldest daughter who's 13. And it just seems like all of a sudden this summer, like a light switch went off or maybe like a hormonal glitch. And it just, it blossomed that genetic seed that was sitting there dormant waiting to be watered that is panic. And so she's having major panic issues, panic attacks, and a lot of somatic issues, like physical issues with her, with her anxiety. So it has not been pretty for her. And I feel really horrible for her. And so she went to England. She's currently in England on a trip and she went with her dad and she didn't go with me. And I'm telling you this story because it's bringing home how dependent she is on me to help her with her panic attacks and her anxiety in general, because I thought I was like, we had a, we had a rough week before she left. She was having a lot of anxiety and I was, you know, I would, I was doing a lot of therapy sessions. I would, you know, do therapy at work. I'd come home and then I'd be doing therapy all night with her. So it's really draining, not that it's all about me, but it was just exhausting to try to help her and to feel helpless, which I'm sure you can completely relate to. So she was going to go away for, I think almost like two and a half, three weeks 
on this trip. And I thought, oh, she's going to get some peace, which was stupid. I mean, obviously anxiety is internal and she's not going to, she's not leaving it behind. And I kind of thought, you know, it'll be peaceful here too, because I'm not going to have to be doing therapy 24 seven. Ha <laughs> foolish me. <laughs> There's technology. So yeah, I am getting a lot of texts and FaceTiming with her because I'm the only one that can make her feel better, which kind of goes to what I'm talking about. I obviously haven't built her skills up enough that she is capable of helping herself. And so we're having a lot of conversations to the point where I had to look up T-Mobile and say, okay, how much are texts in the UK? (laughs) And then I had my husband check too. And I'm like, can you check and make sure that these texts are free? Because I mean, they're coming like every two minutes, 24 seven. So that shows me that I need to build up her skills because she's dependent on me still. And even in how I talk to her, and we'll, we'll talk about this um, in point two that I'm going to make in a second. But even when I talk to her, I'm slowly trying to get her to process and problem solve her own issues and her own panic so that she doesn't need me. But she obviously is still dependent on me. And there's nothing wrong with that. You want to be there for your kids. And I'm not saying that at all, but you also want them to feel like they've got this on some level. And so it's totally mushy and it's totally gray. So I'm not like, Hey, you know, it's horrible that she's texting me. She's in England. She's so far away and she should be able to to do this herself. Completely not saying that at all. I'm just saying that she's, she had made some comments like, um, you know, there's nobody here who gets it and there's no one here who can calm me down like you. And those are some little red flag indicators to me that she's still very dependent on me, which is okay. And I have no problem with that, but it tells me, okay, I need to work on her skills. And it's definitely a work in progress because these are new issues for her. We've always dealt with some form of anxiety, but these are very intense and very new. So that's what's going on with that. So the second reason is when we provide just blanket reassurance for our kids and we say things like, you're okay, or it's going to be okay, or you're going to be fine because blah, blah, blah then we're not really teaching them how to develop coping mechanisms and how to think their way out of their anxiety. So you want to start to build their skills. And if you've taken my anxiety, well, what is it called? Crush anxiety, how to teach your kids how to crush anxiety. I don't even know the name of my own e-course. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, I'm talking about you want to teach your child. I call them red thoughts and green thoughts in my anxiety e-course where I teach parents how to teach their kids to build these skills. And I feel like every parent can do this. It's great to have therapy and it's great to have therapists, but really it's not, it's not a difficult thing to do if you kind of know what you're doing and to know what you're doing isn't really complex in and of itself either. So if your child is having anxious thoughts, which I call red thoughts in my course, you want them to combat those thoughts with green thoughts. And so you don't want to generate the green thoughts Ideally, you want your child to produce them themselves. And so even with my five-year-old who has a hard time sleeping and she comes out and she will say, I'm scared. You know, I think there's something in my closet. You know, I'll say to her, what do you need to tell yourself? And she will say, because we have done this a zillion times, she will say, you know, we are all safe in this house. You know, I am safe in my bed. I can go check my closet. I can go turn the light on and check my closet. And 
I make her generate those green thoughts and I make her regurgitate them to me instead of me sitting on the couch and saying to her, which I'm sure we have all done in the past, you're fine. We, you're safe. We're right here. And if you've listened to my sleep podcast, which was episode, I had to go back and look at this. <laughs> I press pause because I, I don't know my episodes by heart, but episode 10, parenting and sleep problems, addressing bedtime fears. Um, I talk about how my daughter, how I like kind of trained her to say those things. And for me not to just say you're safe because I'm right here, because even though it's subtle, I don't want to develop that codependent relationship. And I know that might seem really bizarre, but I want to empower kids. I want them to feel independent. I want them to feel like they can crush their anxiety. Not that I'm not there for them and not that you're not there for them. It's not saying that it's just saying that they've got this and they don't need me to keep them safe because we are all safe. Semantics, I know, but it does help a little bit. So you want to teach your kid how to develop coping mechanisms. So don't spoon feed reassurance and don't spoon feed problem solving. Say to them, and even though this takes a lot longer and it's a little bit more annoying, it's worth it in the long run, say to them, what do you think you can do to make yourself feel better? What can, what can help you right now? And even if you have the answer, see what they say, because when you make them generate the thought or the activity or the coping mechanism, it sticks because it gets hardwired into their brain versus you just saying something and then being like, no, I tried that. That didn't work. No, I tried that. That didn't work. That's not, that's not helpful for you to be suggesting things and for them to shoot them down. It's on them to make themselves feel better because it's going to be in life. And so instead of giving them green thoughts and instead of giving them activities to do, say what right now can make you feel better. Now, if you don't have any of that, then develop those skills first. And so in the very beginning, you know, my course talks about this, you know, developing those skills. And I, I've talked a lot about it in other podcast episodes. And if you go to my website, anxioustollers.com, there's tons of articles for how to help kids with anxiety. So develop those skills first and then prompt them and prompt them to say what normally works in situations like this, or what do you normally tell yourself in situations like this? Now, granted, and I do this all the time, there are times where they're just panicking or they're just so anxious that you have to kind of help them. And that's okay. This isn't a black and white approach. This isn't like, okay, oh gosh, you just gave your child reassurance. That was awesome. They're going to struggle with anxiety now for the rest of their life. Good job, mom. Good job, dad. It's not like that. And actually I hate parenting books that are like that. I hate anything that is like so black and white and tells you, you know, you absolutely shouldn't do this or your children are going to be doomed for eternity, eternity, eternity. I'm not very good at the echo thing. <laughs> I just tried. But it's not very good. I'm not saying that at all. You are going to reassure your kids and that is okay. But I think it's good if you have some intention in what you actually want to do. So if you were privy to my texts back and forth with my daughter, which I won't let you be privy to because that would be mortifying to her, but I'm doing a lot of reassurance. You know, I am telling her, you know, hey, you're okay because da 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 da. I am spoon feeding her some green thoughts because she is in such a panic right now and her skills just aren't there. 
but my overall intention is to help develop those skills. So then maybe the next day when she texts me again, I'll say to her, remember, what are your green thoughts? What can you tell yourself right now? And I'll try to prompt her to come up with her own, but she might not think of anything. And then I might go back to spoon feeding her and saying, remember what we talked about last time? Remember this helped last time. Remember this helped last time. So it's a process. That's my whole point. Okay. Up next, I want to talk to you about two more ways that reassurance hurts. And I'm going to talk about what to do instead. Stay tuned. That's what's up next. You're listening to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. For more parenting support, check out Natasha's parenting e-courses on a variety of topics. Each parenting e-course includes a series of teaching videos that can be watched at your own pace. For more information, visit anxioustoddlers.com forward slash parenting hyphen videos. Welcome back. So for the third topic that I want to talk about, this is for OCD only, but stick with me because the last one is really important for anxiety as well. A part of OCD is getting reassurance. And this is different than anxiety because for OCD, reassurance is actually part of a compulsion. And so if you have a child who has OCD or anxiety and OCD, you need to be even more careful than the other things I've been talking about because it's not just that they want reassurance. It's that you're, you're finishing an OCD loop. And if you haven't already listened to some of my OCD podcast episodes, you should. So you know exactly what I'm talking about. Episode 11 and episode 20. I had to go back and look again. I promise. (laughs) I don't know my episodes by heart, but episode 11 and episode 20 are solely on OCD. And episode 20 talks about doing the opposite of what feels right. And I do talk about how, when your child is confessing behavior, how you don't want to give reassurance. So if that is what you're dealing with, go back and listen to those episodes, because I'm not going to go into it in detail in here, but it's really important for you to understand because a child who's having confessional OCD will say things like, you know, I had a bad thought, you know, I thought that I wanted to hurt you, or I thought that you were stupid in my head. And what they want to finish their OCD loop is for you to say, that's okay, honey. You know, we all have bad thoughts or that's, that's okay, honey. You didn't mean to do it. Or they might say, you know, I think I put a dent in the wall, or I think that I stepped on, you know, your purse or something. And they want you to say, don't worry about it. It's okay. And when you do that and you give them the reassurance, you're actually finishing their OCD loop and you're finishing the compulsion, which is the opposite of what you want to do. So that is very different than what we've been talking about, but I added it into this episode because I think it's really important because a lot of us do have kids that have anxiety and OCD. And I have a lot of listeners that have kids who just have OCD. And I want to include that when I'm talking about anxiety, I want to include the OCD component for the people that have a combination and the people that are listening that purely have OCD. So go back and listen to 20 and 11, episode 20, episode 11, and that should help you understand a little bit more about what I'm talking about. So instead of finishing that OCD loop and saying, you're not a bad person, don't worry about it, or normalizing it and saying, hey, we all have those thoughts because we don't, not like a true intrusive thought. And so it's never good to minimize it like that, but that's for a different episode. You want to tell your kids, you know, tell your OCD, I'm not talking to it. 
And preferably you have a better name than OCD, because if you listen to me at all, you know that I'm very big on naming OCD and anxiety. I feel like that's huge. Or you can say, I wish your OCD would leave you alone. And so that's an empathic way to not respond. So you're acknowledging the fact that your child is struggling, but you're not feeding into the OCD. Okay, so the last one I want to spend the the rest of the time talking about, which is going to seem completely counterintuitive, but I think it's an interesting thing to bring up, is we don't want to give reassurance to our kids because acceptance of the anxiety or OCD is actually more helpful. So let me explain. So if any of you have ever heard of acceptance and commitment therapy or ACT, this is coming from that type of therapy approach. And it's very helpful to actually accept the anxiety instead of fighting it. Because the more we fight something, the bigger it grows, right? Do you know those like, okay, this is going to be weird, but you know, those like Chinese handcuffs, you know what I'm talking about? I use this as an analogy for a lot of things. And so I, in the past, I've bought a whole bunch and I keep it in my office. So when I'm talking to parents or kids, I'll like put them on and I'll give a little visual demonstration of what I'm talking about. But you know, Chinese handcuffs are like those weird weaved things that you put on your finger and then you pull at them, but you can't get them off. And you actually have to pull in instead of pulling out. Okay. (laughs) I should have just saved that for my YouTube video instead of my podcast, because you really need my visual for that. But the more you pull, the tighter it gets. That's my whole point. So it's kind of the same thing with anxiety and OCD. When you accept the worst case scenario and you're okay with it, and you're like, you know what? That's the worst case scenario. And I've just developed a way to think about it and I'm okay with it. Now anxiety or OCD has no power over me because I'm okay with that. Now it depends on the anxiety theme and it depends on the OCD theme because there are a lot of people who have anxiety themes that if you accept the worst case scenario, then an asteroid's going to blow up the world. And that's really not helpful, but there are a lot of anxiety and OCD themes that you can accept. And I'll give you some examples. So you know what I'm talking about. For instance, we'll talk about my, my oldest daughter again. So she's been having a lot of physiological issues with anxiety. So she is having a lot of heart palpitations and some heart pain. She's having some racing heart issues. She's feeling dizzy, all your panic type symptoms. She was feeling nauseous. Her stomach was hurting. She was feeling lightheaded. So she was hyper fixating on these physical symptoms and she kept on texting me, you know, they're not going away. They're not going away. And what we've been working on and what I've been working on with her since actually the 4th of July, because I, I think I talked about it in one of these recent episodes that we went to a festival on the 4th of July and she was having panic at the festival. And I was telling her, you're having panic symptoms. And what I've said to her in the past when she's been having panic attacks is I say, you know, if you take the panic out of the panic attack, it's not as bad. And so panic attacks are panic attacks because you panic about the attack, but you're having a physiological false alarm in your body and you have to accept it. And I know that's really hard because I have been there and I've had panic attacks in college, went through a whole period of my life where I had panic attacks and it was not fun. So 
I don't say it from an ignorant place. I say it from a place of experience that when you just say mentally, and this is easier said than done for sure. But when you say, okay, I'm having a false alarm. So there's cortisol and epinephrine and all these chemicals pumping through my body because it's having a fight or flight response and it thinks I'm in danger and it's wrong again, but I can't stop the physiological response that's happening. So I can't stop the fact that my heart is racing or that blood is pumping so I can run faster or that I'm starting to feel clammy. Like I can't stop all that because it's going to take a little while for it to calm down. But if I add the panic to it, now I'm panicking and panic creates more of those endorphins. And so I'm perpetuating the response. So part of it is teaching kids, older kids, really, you can't really talk to like a five-year-old about this or you could, but just on a very simplistic level. But what I'm trying to teach her is that you can't control the fact that you're going to have these. They're a false alarm in your body and they can happen at any time, but you can change your green thoughts and you can say, I'm having a physical response and there's nothing I can do about it. And so you're accepting that. And I've been trying to help her far, far away in England because she's like, I'm trying, I'm doing everything, mom. I'm doing everything that we talked about, but I'm still feeling anxious. I'm not having any red thoughts because she doesn't want me to help her fight them. So she's like, I'm not having any red thoughts, but I still feel sick. And my response to her is you are going to feel sick for some time. And the more you accept it and you just say, yep, this is my anxiety. My anxiety is trying to defeat me. It's trying to make me sick. And the more you accept it and you say, but I'm still going to have a good time. I'm going to focus on the weird British food that I'm eating and the weird British media. (laughs) No offense to you British people out there. I actually really like the food in England because I love pickled stuff and you guys have a lot of pickled stuff and I like malted vinegar. So that's good too. And you're, you have really good chocolate. But anyway, I digress. So I told her, just focus on the food and focus on your family there and focus on the things that you're doing. And when you start to feel the physical symptoms, just be like, yep, that's my anxiety. And there's nothing I can do about it. So I have to move on because she was seeing it as a gauge. Like I'm doing a plus B plus C, but D is not happening because when I do all these things, then I'm supposed to feel better. And when you have that expectation, it doesn't happen. I know that sounds really weird, but acceptance is a very effective approach. And if you haven't, you can look into ACT acceptance and commitment therapy, because it's interesting. It's actually an interesting approach and can be very effective with kids. So I'm, I'm simplifying it completely, but moving into acceptance instead of reassurance can be helpful. I'll give you another example that is very different. I have kids that come into my practice and they will have lots of phobias, lots of fears with different anxiety themes. And we talk a lot about anxiety themes in my e-course, you know, that it's really important for you to figure out what your child's anxiety theme is because otherwise, and I use this analogy a lot, it's a bandaid on a bullet hole. You have to figure out what, what the true core fear is. And most of the time there are big umbrella themes that you can figure out with your kids and all their anxiety fits under some of these umbrella themes, which I explain in my course. So some kids I work with, I'll just give you some examples. We'll have like a fear of throwing up or seeing throw up. It's a very, very common anxiety that I work with. So there are a couple of kids I'm working with who are afraid of seeing throw up. 
And with those kids that I work with, I'll tell them, okay, you might see somebody throw up. So what's the worst that can happen? And we'll go down that road. So instead of saying, well, what's the likelihood of you seeing someone throw up and you're totally fine. No one's going to throw up near you. You know, you're spending all this time worrying and the likelihood of it happening is not very big. Well, you know, that's not really true. (laughs) I have this one girl and it just seems like people throw up wherever she's at because that's one of her phobias. It's like, she's got the worst luck ever, but I teach her and I teach the other kids I work with who have this anxiety theme. You're going to be okay. If that's the worst thing that can happen, let's talk about it. Let's expose you to it. I haven't gotten there yet with some of them, but you're going to be okay. For the kids that are afraid they're they're going to throw up, we talk about, okay, so if you throw up, what's the worst that's going to happen? And that is different for each kid because some, it's a fear of losing control. So, well, I don't know. If I throw up, I'm going to be really embarrassed. So for some, it's social anxiety. For others, it's a vulnerability. Well, I'm going to be really sick, you know, and I could be vulnerable. I find that it it's different for each kid when you actually get down to the core of like, what's the worst part about throwing up? but you get them to accept it. That could happen. That could happen. And if you get sick, what can happen? You can go to the nurse or you can go to your car, depending on how how old they are, but you come up with a a scenario of how they're going to deal with it. And that is 10 times more effective. So when you give reassurance and you say, don't worry about it, you know, the likelihood of that happening is so small. Don't even worry about it for a lot of anxiety themes, depending on what it is, that's really not helpful. You want them to accept the worst case scenario. Now there are anxiety themes where this would not be appropriate. So talk to your therapist about what is a good approach for you, because I'm just giving you some information and I'm sure there are scenarios that I can think of where it wouldn't be effective. So, you know, talk to whoever you're working with. If you're working with someone now, I will say there are kids that come into my practice who are even afraid of, they have separation anxiety and I'm talking about older kids. Remember how I talked about separation anxiety in older kids. I talked about that in episode 17. And a lot of times I will say to kids, and these are not little kids who are just afraid, you know, they want to be near mommy and they have, you know, separation anxiety and they're like really little. These are older kids who are like 12 or 13 and they're sleeping in their kids. They're sleeping in their parents' bedrooms and they're having a hard time separating to go to school. And I'll say to those kids, what's the worst part about being separated? And for some of them, they'll say, I don't want anything to happen to my mom. I don't want her to die. That's a common separation anxiety theme. And then I'll say, well, if she dies, I know that's horrible, but what's the worst part about it? And that answer is different for each kid. But some kids will say to me, I don't know where I'll go. I don't know what will happen to me. And for those kids, I will actually talk to the parent and we will talk to that child and we'll say, what's the plan? If you pass away, God forbid, but if you pass away, what will happen to your kid? And then the parent will turn to the child and will say, do you know, aunt so-and-so remember you love her. Well, she has agreed that she will raise you if something were to happen to me and a huge relief will drip off that child's face and they'll be like, okay, well, there's a plan. Now that seems really weird because you'd think, oh my gosh, like, why would you tell a kid that? That's horrible. I mean, that's really scary. That's very dark. But for some kids, that is their ultimate worry is what will happen to me if my mom dies. Now that's not always 
the worry. Sometimes it's just like, I'm going to be sad and I'm going to miss her. And, and you know, a big chunk of the time, it's just that, but there are kids where when you really dig and dig and dig and you follow that little string and you keep pulling at it, the ultimate worry is I'm going to be alone. I mean, I've had little kids say to me, I don't know if I don't know who will feed me. I don't know who will take me to school. So you want to dig and figure out what is the core, core worst case scenario. And even in death, there is comfort in knowing that there is a plan and that's accepting the worst case scenario, not for all kids. So talk to your therapist because I don't want you to go and do something crazy. And, and then that's not the issue, but I just want you to know that getting your child to accept the worst case scenario in a lot of situations can be really helpful. Coming up next week, I am going to be talking to you about how to teach very young kids, toddlers and preschoolers, maybe even first graders, kindergartners, but young kids, how to beat anxiety. So if you haven't already, don't forget to hit subscribe so that you don't have to look for my feed and you'll instantly download it. While you're there, don't forget to hit that button and leave a review. If you don't have time, you can just hit a star and I would really appreciate it. I want to thank Tanya and Tara and Kelly and Mama Gone East Bay for leaving really kind reviews. I'm so glad that you're finding my podcast helpful. And if you're finding it helpful as well, please don't forget to leave a review. So until next time, I hope you find the sparkle in everything you do. Take care and I'll talk to you next Tuesday. Bye. Thank you for listening to AT Parenting Survival Podcast. For more tips and parenting support, visit anxioustoddlers.com. 